I would like to pray before that. Um, I suppose it is a kind of a, a prayer, a prayer of intercession, prayer for others. Um, I have been in several places over the past week where there was a great ministry of the word going on. There were coffee shops and supermarkets because they were playing Christmas carols and they were playing the gospel in places that you and I would never get into to do it. We wouldn't be allowed to do it, but you know what? To be perfectly honest, we probably wouldn't want to do it in the end of the day. And yet in this season, this Advent, this Christmas season, the Church of Jesus Christ has some of the most amazing opportunities to share the gospel. And sometimes we're kind of put to shame by the amount of gospel that is played in supermarkets and played in coffee shops and restaurants and all sorts of other places. And people will say to me, ah, but people aren't listening to that. Well, having received, having taken receipt, shall we say, of my ninth grandchild over the past week, I am very well aware that the mind takes in a lot of stuff subconsciously, and it comes out at other stages, of course, whenever uh, we don't really want it to come out, but the mind is well capable of taking on board some of the stuff that comes out of the songs that are played in the coffee shops. And I'd like us to think about that and pray about this Christmas season just for a moment before we come to take our second read. Let's come to the Lord. Lord, uh, it's, a, it's a great season. It's lovely, Lord. We, we love the lights and the trees and we love the Christmas dinners and we love the celebrations and we thank you for them all, Lord, and we pray that we might uh, enjoy them and appreciate them. But we thank you especially who are the people of God for this amazing end-of-year opportunity to share the Christ, not just his birth, but his life and his death and his resurrection and his exaltation to the place of authority with the Father in heaven, the gospel that he has given to us. We thank you for that. We pray you'll forgive us if we don't always do it as well as we ought to. But we want to pray, Father, for those almost inadvertent opportunities when something of the gospel is proclaimed in the public arena whether it is the coffee shops or the shopping centers or the supermarkets or on the street, wherever, Lord. And we pray for the gospel, therefore, in this Christmas season. We pray, Lord, that people will, will just get a little bit of it into their ears and into their minds and into their hearts. And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you might make that little word live to them and bring them the salvation of what their Christ child brought. Lord, we commend all that to you. And we pray, Father, for perhaps especially all the boys and girls in schools in this community and many others who will in one way or another in these difficult circumstances be involving in the nativity. We pray, Father, that the simplicity of the Christian gospel may come out even through that, even if it happens to be on video. There may be parents or grandparents or other relatives or friends who may hear this and just this year that your spirit may make it click in their hearts and they come to know the Christ child, the Redeemer, Savior who died on the cross for them. Lord, we pray you'll bless this season. I want to pray that you'll bless all the endeavors of this congregation uh, in this Christmas season as they endeavor to share Jesus with the folk who live around here and folk who come in and out of this church and in and out of its organizations or whatever. Lord, we pray for blessing, blessing in the ministry, blessing in the results 
in this Christmas season. And we pray there may be some, at least maybe many, who will uh, rejoice in this Christmas season and for the fact that they came in contact with the ministry in this church. For here they heard of Jesus. Lord, bless them all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me take the second part of uh, the reading for this evening. The bit that I really want to, to deal with is taken from uh, verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. It's entitled, Zachariah's Song. Sometimes I've heard people refer to it as the song of the helpless priest. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, speaking to John now, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen to that. That's God's word. Um, I'm not sure what Marty would make of me beginning a sermon with the words uh, Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel. I never did Latin in school. <laughs> I never did much of any language. I never did much of anything in school. Those are the first words of Zechariah's song, praise be to the Lord. And I just use the Latin because actually this is one of those Christmas passages that we kind of look at and then pass on to chapter two to we get to the birth of Jesus. And yet there are people down through the years who have set this to music. You will hear this in classical kind of Christian music. Choirs would be singing it at very traditional carol service. It's called the Benedictus, the Benedictus. And that's what we're about this evening. This song of the prophet, oh, the song of the priest Zechariah. Christmas is a time for songs. Uh, as we said already, they're in the shops, uh, along with the trees and the decorations popping up. I, I take my dog for a walk in the evenings, most evenings, and round the streets in Orangefield. And every night you walk around, you say, ah, oh, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. And they've got all the trees, not only in the house, out in the gardens, and they've got projectors with snowfalls on the walls of the houses. It's absolutely amazing. It's gorgeous uh, altogether. Children learn the Christmas songs at their parents' knee, and the words tend to cling for the rest of their lives as part of the whole Christmas thing. And it may well not always be Christmas carols, might be jingle bells, but whatever. You know, it's really, really good, and they're never forgotten, and that's good. And children should be encouraged to do that because too soon they will lose the sense of the mystery. And there is a mystery in Christmas. There, there is a mystery. And there's a mystery in the whole way God works and God do, does things. And 
Once they get to a stage of being at secondary level education and they start to get brainwashed with all the rationalism of science and all the rest of it, the mystery starts to fade. And they need to get it when they are very, very, very young. You know, I have a, a mental image of the old priest Zechariah with the baby John in his arms, holding the new baby, John the Baptist, and singing to him the words of the Benedictus. He was making them up by the Spirit at that time. And I'm not sure if John ever learned those words, but he certainly got the message as the New Testament goes on to show. John's dad had just come out of nine months' silence. <laughs> he couldn't talk. Now, you need to remember, Zachariah was a priest. He was a teacher. He was the guy who taught. He was the guy who taught his people. Can you imagine being shut up for nine months? I can imagine. I'd be horrendous. Now, I know there are people uh, <laughs> in my family and in church down through the years who, who wished I could just keep quiet for nine months. I appreciate that, you know. But can you imagine what kind of a burden that must have been on this old, this old priest for nine months? No talking. No talking. And why was he not talking? Because he had to relearn something from God. And when he did, he burst out into this new song which tells that, that God is in business. He was in business right there and then in Zechariah's life and the life of Israel. He is in business right now with you and me in, in this Advent season. And just as he promised he would be right through the Old Testament, we call it, as I've said, the Benedictus. Sadly, we Christians, and it is sad, we Christians often have to learn from God by going to the school of hard knocks. It's very sad about us. And what was Zachariah's problem? It was not that he didn't believe all the theology that he'd been teaching the people down through the years as a priest. He just didn't believe that it could happen in his day or indeed in and through his life. And that's a worrying thing because Zechariah was a good and godly man. You read that in chapter one, a good and godly man. He believed all that he taught the people. He was a man of genuine, sincere, deep-seated faithfulness. His problem was, and if you don't remember anything else this evening, then remember that line that comes under Zechariah on the screen. The problem with Zechariah was that his faith had become domesticated. Domesticated. He had lost sight of the bigness of God. Marty has said that he wants us to see, to know, to experience the wonder of the incarnation through these Advent Sundays. And this it's good because this is what Zechariah had lost. He had lost the wonder of the promises of God concerning a Messiah. He had lost sight of the sheer size and scope of God's plan for his universe and for his people. And I suspect that Zechariah is certainly not alone. Is it not true that we who believe, we who really believe, I'm talking about saved, really believe, in the Lord Jesus Christ, often think of ourselves as the life story 
in the world. And God fits in there somewhere. He does, of course, but he so often is only a supporting actor in the whole scenario. We call on him when we need him. Isn't that right? I think it is. The truth for us is that it is possible to be a believer and yet not actually be excited about what God is excited about and what He wants us to be excited. <laughs> this is, I'll get told off for this when I go home. It's, it's a bit critical. It's a bit critical. But you know, down through 35 years of ministry, I must say I found very few people who are actually excited about the things that excite God. Very, very few. And we sometimes wonder why the church is in the state it's in. It's got nothing to do with culture, society, persecution, all that sort of stuff. It's all there, of course. It's more to do with the excitement we have for God and Jesus and His kingdom and the call He has on us. The truth for Zechariah and us is that this is sinful. This is sinful, and it needs to be dealt with. Don't sympathize. I've heard people sympathize with Zechariah. Oh, poor Zechariah. He couldn't talk for nine months. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to be, to be sympathetic towards Zechariah. The Holy Spirit does not want us to be like Zechariah before John was born. The Holy Spirit wants us to be like the Zechariah who sings a song for his child. Believers who take God's Word seriously, who get really excited by it and want to share it with the world. So what we need to do, you might think that's the sermon, that's only the introduction. <laughs> you ain't heard nothing yet. <laughs> what we need to try and do is, what happened? What happened to Zechariah? And as it happened to him, what needs to happen to us if we're going to get this right? Well, there are just three things. There are more than three, but I'm going to just share three things with you out of the song itself, which may help us to understand what helped. The first thing is this. Number one, that there is in this a promise which has been fulfilled. That's what he's singing about in the song. And that's important because let me tell you, our Christian faith is nothing if we cut out the Old Testament. I know there are people who just think, you know, it's all New Testament. And the Old Testament, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. That's nonsense. Hope you, hope you agree with me. <laughs> that's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. You certainly cannot understand the Incarnation unless you know the Old Testament. It's that historical thing again. I remember... Um, once in, in my church over in St. Andrews, we were doing uh, one of our series of Bible studies, and though it sounds a bit strange, we were actually looking at a series of famous people in the history of the church, and we were taking certain Bible passages out uh, in parallel with that and studying them and see how those lives actually illustrated the, the Scriptures. And we had one lady, a very, very faithful believer in the Lord Jesus, and an amazing support to me in, in my ministry in that church. She didn't come to those Bible studies because she didn't like history. She didn't like history. Now, I never told her off or anything like that, but it was very sad 
because we need the history. And that's where Zechariah is coming from here. He's coming out of the history. We cannot escape the history if we're going to be believers. Our God does not provide mere paperwork in a book called the Bible for us to read. He, his paperwork is connected to what he does in real time, what he does in your life and my life, what he does on the streets. What he does in real time is recorded for our instruction and our exhortation and our encouragement. And Zechariah puts this all in song. He's got it now. It's all clicked. He's got the gospel. He doesn't know it as clear as you and I know it, but he's got the gospel now. He, he knows what is happening. The, the, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, They've all been pointing to this moment in his life, in his family's life, and in the life of Mary and Joseph. They've all been pointing to this moment in human history. Now the promises are fulfilled. Do you believe that? Do you believe that as we uh, come into Advent season in the year 2021, that God's promises have been fulfilled, and that's why we're celebrating Christmas? They're fulfilled not in baby John as such, but in the child of Mary. The child of Mary. This is the horn of salvation. Verse 69 there. This is the horn of salvation which, which Zacharias taught. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. The horn of salvation is the king, the powerful and mighty king, the mighty king from the house of David, the one promised from way back then. And it's all about realizing that God is in business in this first Christmas. The promised visitation had come. You know, there's a blank bit between the Old Testament and the New Testament in your, in your Bible. It's all white pages. There's nothing there. There's actually 400 years of Jewish history there, and God never spoke. He never spoke. And here he is breaking into Israelite history, breaking into the history of the world. The promised visitation had come. Now, here's the question. It's the first question. It might be the second question. I can't remember. Will this truth do what this pastor wants to happen in this church? Will this truth thrill our souls this Christmas season? Will we get excited not just about, the, get excited about the Christmas tree, there's nothing wrong with that, but more, get excited about the child who was born in a manger, the promised Messiah. Will we sing the Christmas carols because we have realized that God has kept his promises without exception and we just can't keep it in here, it's too big, it wants out. That's the first thing, a promise fulfilled. The second thing is this, that what we find talked about in, in Zechariah's song is um, the power which has come in this visitation, the power to save. Now, I know very well that uh, down the history of Ravenhill Church, to talk about being saved wasn't unusual, but there are many Presbyterian churches and the people don't like it talking about getting saved. And of course, coming from the brethren Sunday school I went to, all we ever heard of was getting saved. But that's because that's really, really, really important. 
really a power to save. Zechariah indicates that when God comes, he does so with power. All this language about the mighty king, the horn of salvation, it's all about power. And all these verses show, show that. But we need to be careful here. Who are the enemies? And this is slightly complicated, but you need to know this. We need to sort this in the song. Who are the enemies we are to be rescued from? He's going to provide salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Who are our enemies? Let me say to you, this is not the Romans of Zechariah's day. This is not any other political regime. This is not my neighbor whose weeds keep encroaching into my floor beds or anything like that. This is not the person who disagrees with my theology. And I'm very tight on my theology, but I know it's not perfect. Presbyterianism is not perfect. This is not the person who disagrees with my theology or my church belief. We need to look at what is achieved by our rescue to find out who the enemies are. And the aim of the promised deliverance by this Messiah, by this horn of salvation, is that we might be able to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Verses 74 and 75. Who are the enemies? Well, the enemies are those who make it impossible for God's people to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. They are, in fact, spiritual enemies who are being referred to here. That's what all the commentators, at least they agree on that. It is actually fear which is being referred to here. Fear. It is actually fear that's being referred to, and God comes to banish fear. It is the end of fear. This horn of salvation is mighty to destroy every dark shadow that causes us to have fear. That inner dread which makes us feel small and insignificant and about to be overcome by some dark force. Zechariah gets to that near the end of the song. The message of Christmas to Mary and to shepherds and to Zechariah and to everyone ever since has been this. Do not be afraid. The world lives its life out in fear. Even when they're laughing, the fear is there. What is the dark shadow? The dark shadow, it's in verse 77. It's sin. It, it just clings over everybody and everything. And Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. You don't need me to quote that to you. He says the sting of death, the sting of death is, is, is sin. That's where the fear comes from. We're living in days of pandemic. There are people who are living and have been living since the beginning of last year in a, in a fearful state. They, they don't want to go out of their house in case, in case they catch COVID-19. No, you can say that's fine. And they're quite obsessed by it. But is it COVID-19 we're really afraid of? Or is it the fact that if we catch COVID-19, we might die? 
You see, there is this thing inside of us which knows very well, because God has put eternity in our hearts, that we know very well there's something else. There is something else beyond the dying. And we're afraid of that. And we're being told that the horn of salvation will come and he will make it possible for that fear to be overcome, that will be no longer be an enemy of ours. And the greatest shadow of fear that tyrannizes us and holds us in bondage and slavery and about which we can do nothing, says Zechariah, is the darkness. And in, in, in the Bible, the darkness is always about sinfulness. It's always about fallenness, is the darkness, he says. In verse, uh, uh, what verse is it? Verse 79, in darkness. <clears throat> the shadow and the shadow of death. Zechariah knows, he has become so totally enlightened, he knows exactly what's going on here. And doesn't that so often throw a dark shadow over our Christmases? We still remember loved ones who used to share Christmas with us. It's very sad, very sad. Until the great enemy of humanity took them from us. Zechariah is telling us that the child Jesus in Mary's womb was God visiting us with colossal power to destroy all our enemies, even death. People say, You're, is this Christmas? This is Advent? We want to hear about angels and shepherds and wise men. Okay, fine but actually they're all connected with this horrible reality of life, death itself. Paul says that death has reigned over humanity right throughout history from Adam to Christ. He says those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, and that's what the, that the horn of salvation brings, they reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Death is defeated. Zechariah says it's because of the rising sun which will come to us from heaven. Now, I know the term rising sun has, very, has a few connotations uh, in, in the province that, that, that we live in. None of them are of any importance. None of them have any meaning or importance whatsoever. This is the only rising sun which is of any importance to humanity, and to the people of Ulster, and the people of Belfast, and the people of Ravenhill Church. This rising sun coming to us from heaven. This is what Christmas is about. It's a new dawn. A new dawn for the world. Just like a sunrise. And my dog out, the sun rises very late, of course, at the moment. And my dog out for a walk this morning, it was, I don't know, it was about half eight, somewhere between half eight and nine o'clock. And I was coming back, and I could see the outline of the houses uh, along Orangefield, coming from Orangefield Park. And suddenly, just without any warning, without any fanfare, suddenly there's a shaft of sunlight just silently climbing above the horizon. This is the rising sun at first silent, unseen, entering a sleeping world, a tiny baby born in, a, in an outhouse in a small town in Judea. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And this was the beginning of the climax of all God's plan and purpose 
for the whole creation. Last point in conclusion, number three. There is something in here about a personal experience. Now, I don't mean ecstasy or any of that sort of stuff, even though I've been speaking in tongues in here uh, this evening. I don't mean anything like that. We're talking about a relationship, a relationship. We should not forget this personal, the need for this personal experience. Zachariah's song points out that this sunrise comes into our understanding in a very personal way, and in fact, only in a personal way. God dealt with Zechariah on a personal basis. John would introduce Jesus the Messiah on a one-to-one basis. He would point the finger over there and he says, there is someone coming whose shoes, the buckles of whose sandals, I am not worthy to open. And there he is. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. God is not the impersonal, unknowable, distant deity of other religions. He has come close. He has come so close. So close right into our company, into our midst, so that we might know him and the joy of his salvation. But it's personal. It is personal. He came with power to save, but he doesn't do block efforts. It's each individual. He came with power to save you and me personally. When John grows up, and he goes before the Lord, as, as Mark quoted from the Old Testament there in chapter 1 of his gospel. He will preach salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And that message will be centered on the personal coming of the Lord Jesus. And John made it plain that his ministry must decrease in prominence as the Lord would increase in his ministry. In him alone would sinful humanity be rescued from the darkness of their sin and brought into the new dawn of eternal life of the kingdom of God. Brought into the new dawn in their lives, in their hearts, in their very being. It's the thing that makes them excited about God and God's exciting plans. And this situation hasn't changed. Not in 2,000 years. The carol says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The last question. This Christmas, will you? I don't, I, I don't know you that well, so I don't know who's sitting in front of me in a sense. You all look lovely. Actually, nobody has fallen asleep just yet. You all look lovely. You're all well presented, but I don't know what you're like inside. But I know God knows. I know he sees everything about you. And regrettably, he sees everything about me. This Christmas, well, you or I have decreased, stepped back from our own useless efforts to please God, stepped back from uh, the, the kind of life that Zechariah was living uh, in, in his day, stepped back from being domesticated, so easy to become churchy domesticated. And will we have allowed the rising sun Spell it whatever way you like, S-U-N as it is in the text, or S-O-N as it is in Christ Jesus. Well, we have allowed the rising sun who has made the journey from heaven to bring the dawning of new day into our lives. It's a day that never ends. 
of a sunset that never comes, of a light that is, this man has been talking about light, a light that, that is everlasting. This and nothing less than this is the message not only of Zachariah's song, but of Christmas in every generation and Christmas in 2021. Let's pray for a moment. Father, Lord, thank you that you put on record in your word the words of this fine old man, this godly man. Thank you, O Lord, that you record that in a sense his, his eyes were open and he was able to move away from being a domesticated priest of the temple to a man on fire with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Father, oh, that this would describe our lives, our ministries, our living in this Christmas season, in this year of grace. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.